This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Science Notes, a programme on Otago Access Radio brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 to 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. Well, good evening, and welcome to Science Notes again for another week. My name's Dave McMorrin, and I'm here by myself tonight. It's the middle of winter here in Dunedin. Um, My computer tells me that it's about three degrees outside, and there's a talk of snow tonight. And the students, perhaps rightly, are all off on holiday. So we will resume our occasional series looking at the work which won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry over the years. And this week it will be the prize that was given in 1923. But we'll start with some music. And my music tonight is from my most recent CD purchase. Um, We were in Wellington last weekend. I went to Slowboat Records, as I always do. And the random CD I bought was called Ambrosia. It features Art Farmer on flugelhorn, Hank, Hank Jones on piano, Eddie Gomez on bass, Jimmy Cobb on drums, and, perhaps randomly, a collection of Japanese string players. The last track on the CD, and our first one for tonight, is I Will Wait For You. Thank you. 
listening to Science Notes on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, where this week we're looking at the work that won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1923. The citation was for the invention of the method of microanalysis of organic substances. So clearly, at least in 1923, microanalysis was an important thing. Why? Chemistry is about understanding how molecules are put together and how they interact with each other. And underpinning all of chemistry is this idea of constancy of composition of molecules. Every molecule of a particular type has the same numbers of each type of atom in it. And just as a botanist might recognise a flower by the number of petals it has, or an entomologist might recognise a type of caterpillar by how many legs it has, so a chemist recognises a molecule by its composition. And since different elements have different weights, the ratio of these weights reflects the composition, and so is a defining property of the molecule. Microanalytical measurements allow for the determination of these relative masses of the different elements in a chemical substance. For example, water has the chemical formula H2O. This means that each molecule of water has one oxygen atom and two hydrogen atoms in it. So, because in a glass of water every water molecule is the same, they are all H2O, this means that in a 100ml sample of water there is exactly 11.11 grams of hydrogen and 88.89 grams of oxygen. There's a greater proportion of oxygen because the oxygen atom is heavier than the hydrogen atom. Similarly, a 100 gram sample of quartz will contain 53.26 grams of oxygen and 46.74 grams of silicon. This is characteristic of quartz. Analysis of a large transparent crystal from a mine that does not give these values will not be quartz or at least not pure quartz, just as a spider with six legs may not, in fact, be a spider. If you isolate some new compound from a tree, or dig some new compound up out of a mine, or if you obtain some new compound from a chemical reaction, then the next thing for the chemist to do is to work out what the compound is. In 2021, there are an array of computer-controlled machines with acronyms like NMR, XRD, HPLC, MS, that, on a good day, can quite quickly give you a lot of information about the new molecule, possibly even its complete 3D structure. But at the start of the 20th century, when none of these had yet been invented, the chemist had to do as best they could with methods to work out the relative masses of the constituent elements in the molecule, and maybe its melting or boiling point. Such methods were first described by the French chemist Joseph-Louis Gay-Lussac in 1810. He was the one 
who first worked out that water was, in fact, H2O. Then key improvements were made by the German chemist Justice von Liebig. As a key player in the early days of what we now call organic chemistry, he was acutely aware of the importance of knowing the composition of the things he was making in his reactions. In 1830, he reported a way to measure the relative amounts of carbon, hydrogen and oxygen, the most common elements in organic compounds, using a new type of apparatus which he'd invented and which he called a caliaparate. The method involved burning the compound in air. The carbon in it would be converted to carbon dioxide and the hydrogen would be converted to water. To determine the carbon content, the carbon dioxide was passed through a solution of potassium hydroxide in one part of the caliaparate. The carbon dioxide combined with the potassium hydroxide to form potassium carbonate. By measuring the resulting increase in mass of the apparatus, which now contained both potassium hydroxide and the potassium carbonate, Liebig could work out how much CO2 must have come from the compound being analysed and, from that, how much carbon was in it initially. In a similar way, the water generated by the combustion of the hydrogen atoms in the compound was absorbed and the resulting change in weight translated into how many hydrogens there were in the molecule. Anything missing was then ascribed to the oxygen. Liebig's methods were widely used and contributed enormously to the development of our understanding of the composition of molecules and the ways in which they react with each other. But in order to get usefully accurate results, a relatively large amount of the compound had to be analysed. And in the early years of the 20th century, as it became increasingly clear that many of the important aspects of how living systems worked were, in fact, questions to be understood by chemists, this posed a problem. Because the amounts of the interesting biological molecules that were able to be isolated was very small. For example, we know that vitamin C is an important component of a healthy body, and we now know that, in a normally healthy person, there is about 23 milligrams, or 0.023 grams, of vitamin C per litre of blood. Note that that's about, uh, or getting on for 100 times less than there is sugar in half a teaspoon of sugar. So a very small amount. And what's more, this, this 23 milligrams of vitamin C corresponds to 9.4 milligrams of carbon, 12.5 milligrams of oxygen, and just one milligram of hydrogen. These sorts of numbers were too small for the traditional methods, for Liebig's methods. And so, with few other ways to analyse the compounds, little progress could be made. This was the situation that the Austrian chemist Fritz Pregel found when he started working at the University of Innsbruck in 1910. Pregel was born in 1869 in a town called Laibach, which is now called Ljubljana, which was then part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and is now the capital of Slovenia. 
he was a very capable student. After his father's death when he was 18, he and his mother moved to Graz, which was just quite close to Laibach, and in 1864 he graduated from the University of Graz with a medical degree during which he studied ophthalmology. He then worked as a research assistant to a professor, Alexander Rollett. Pragel's work involved studying bile acids, which are produced by the liver to help digest fats. While Rollett was a physiologist, Pragel became increasingly interested in the chemical aspects of the work. And when Rollett unexpectedly died in 1903, Pragel took the opportunity to leave, temporarily, and tour many of the important organic chemistry laboratories of Germany, including that of Emil Fischer, who had won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1902. After his brief stint in Innsbruck, he returned to Graz, to the position created by Rollet's death, and to continue his work on bile acids. But he was faced with this problem of how to obtain accurate analysis of their composition when only tiny samples could be isolated. There are many different bile acids, and so distinguishing one from another would be key to developing his understanding of their biological roles. And so his solution was to take the existing methods of analysis from Liebig and miniaturize them, inventing what we would now call microanalysis. The first thing he had to do was to find something to accurately weigh the samples. Accurate balances for weighing very small quantities of material were available, but he needed something that could very accurately measure differences in large masses, such as the change in mass when small amounts of carbon dioxide were absorbed by the potassium hydroxide solution in the caliaparate. He found an instrument maker in Hamburg called W.H. Kuhlmann, who, at his direction, built a balance that could weigh a 20 gram sample with an accuracy of 1 milligram. So this would allow Pragel to distinguish between 10 grams and 10.001 grams. He then had to invent ways to do the existing analysis on much smaller samples. And so he built tiny versions of the equipment, his training as an eye surgeon proving useful after all. And along the way he became a skilled glass blower. He also added new catalysts to ensure that the conversions of the carbon and hydrogen were swift and complete. Over time he expanded the elements that could be analysed for to include nitrogen, sulphur, phosphorus, chlorine, bromine, and a number of metals. He also developed ways to analyse molecules for the presence of groups of atoms, what we now call functional groups, which were key to understanding the reactivity of the molecule. Pragel was reluctant to publish his methods in the chemical journals, as was the norm at the time, but rather collected them into a book, the first edition of which he published in 1917. His lab became the destination of many scientists from around Europe, all keen to learn his new methods of analysis, and Pragel happily welcomed them. When Alfred Nobel first established the Nobel Prizes, he said that the prize in chemistry should be each year awarded 
to the person who makes, quote, the most important chemical discovery or improvement. It is clear that, while Pragel did not discover the analytical methods he used, his improvement of them was of tremendous importance. And so, in 1923, he was duly awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, the first awarded for analytical chemistry. It seems that he was not at the award ceremony himself, and no record of his acceptance speech is posted on the Nobel Prize website. But in his address at the ceremony, the chairman of the Nobel Committee for Chemistry, Professor Hammerstein, remarked that Pragel's microanalysis opens promising prospects for future for research in the future, particularly in the vast field of biochemistry. There is every reason to hope that microanalysis will make possible fruitful study of a great number of substances which so far, in some respects at least, have been practically inaccessible to exact chemical investigation. Such, such substances, for instance, include enzymes, vitamins and hormones, the extremely great significance of which, for the vital processes, is well known. Our knowledge of these substances at present is in the main limited to their effects or the results of their action. Only when we have succeeded in unravelling their chemical character will it be possible to gain a deeper insight into their mysterious function, which is at present concealed from us. A thorough chemical investigation of these substances is therefore one of the most important tasks of biochemistry, and, as far as can now be judged, Pragel's microanalysis offers an extremely valuable, if not indispensable, aid for the solution of such a problem. And this certainly proved to be the case. Here at Otago University, the chemistry department is fortunate to have a lab dedicated to microanalysis of compounds in our building, a marked contrast to the situation at the University of Chicago, which, when I worked there, sent samples to a lab in New Mexico, some 1,200 miles away. The Otago lab was founded by Arthur Campbell, who started as an assistant lecturer in organic chemistry in 1948, and who, like Pragel before him, found that his work was hampered by not having a way to obtain microanalysis of the compounds he was making. The method, methods existed, but there was no such facility anywhere in New Zealand to perform them. So he did them himself. And the lab which he started, and which he became the director of until his retirement, soon started receiving samples from across the country and from abroad. Arthur died at the end of 2020, aged 95, but the Campbell Microanalytical Laboratory, as it is now called, still runs hundreds of samples a year using methods based on Pragel's, albeit largely automated now, and is a key part of the chemistry department's operations. Pragel worked at Gratz for the rest of his life. He died in December of 1930. The department at the university where he worked was renamed the Institute of, Medicinal, of Medical Chemistry and Pragel Laboratory, and a number of chemistry prizes in Austria are named for him. And today, while microanalysis is but one of a large family of methods that can be called on to examine the structure of newly found or made molecules, its place is still secure. And while Pragel's name is not one that is known, now known by most synthetic chemists, I suspect, his legacy is one 
which they will all be thankful for. We'll go out tonight with a second track from the Ambrosia album by Art Farmer. This one is his take on the song The Windmills of Your Mind, which featured in the 1968 film The Thomas Crown Affair. Thanks for listening, everyone. Science Notes, a program on Otago Access Radio, brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 till 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.